0: Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Our podcast is part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sights, the fastest sights in any light. Today, we'll be talking with Karen Whitlock from Trigger Time Range to explain the why you should explain the why. Before we jump into this week's episode, a quick reminder – that there are only a couple of weeks left before the Guardian Conference on September 17th to the 19th in Oklahoma City for opportunity to train with some of the best trainers in the nation, including guests like Jeff Gonzalez, Spencer Keepers, Riley Bowman, Steve Moses, Hanny Mahmood, Todd Fossey, Brian Eastridge, Brian McLaughlin, and Andrew Branca. If you're worried about ammo, they have ammo for the conference attendees. Go to guardianconference.com for more info. We bring this podcast. To support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off in your policy by promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by the team at Mountain Man Medical. Responsible firearm instructors have trauma medical gear on the range and are trained to use it. Mountain Man Medical provides the highest quality name brand medical gear on the market at a guaranteed lowest price. Check out the Wind River Kit, especially designed for firearm instructors to have at the range. The Yellowstone is perfect to have on your belt or in your bag anywhere you go. Learn more at mountainmanmedical.com and scroll to the bottom and click on available discounts to learn how fire instructors can save 15% off the already guaranteed lowest prices on the market. And don't forget to click on the training link to take the emergency trauma response video course for free. Get the right gear and the right training at the best price anywhere on mountainmanmedical.com. Today, we are joined by instructor Karen Whitlock from Trigger Time Range. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for coming on the podcast to share your knowledge with our audience.
1: Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm
0: excited, too, because I've been watching uh, all your uh, adventures on Facebook (laughs) and uh, where you've been training, and I thought it would be really great to have you come on and talk about the uh, topic today.
1: Yes, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Let's do it.
0: Well, before we jump in, uh, and those people that may not follow you on Facebook or uh, on or don't live in the Atlanta area there for Trigger Time range, can you give our listeners a little bit of your background and uh, what you do?
1: Sure. Um, so I own Trigger Time Indoor Gun Range. We're in Flowery Branch, Georgia. We are in our 10th year, which seems crazy because it has flown by, just like people say. Um, but I've been teaching for about eight years. I started out with the NRA basic pistol certification. And I've also got... Chief RSO, CCW, and then I branched off into USCCA with the Concealed Carry Home Defense Training Counselor and the DSF stuff. And then I decided I needed some other viewpoints. So I've also got my Rangemaster Advanced Certification, as well as Masada U Group, Modern Samurai Project. Um, I guess, actually, I just felt like I needed to catch up to everybody and just dove right into the training. But my main joy is just teaching mostly beginner students how to shoot, how to be safe. That's what I get the most pleasure from. So that's my my bread and butter, I guess you could say.
0: Well, that's that's you got a great background for that because obviously, uh, beginning shooters um, have a lot of questions about why. But then also too, when you get into advanced shooters, everybody comes comes to a shooting class with some preconceived notion whether that's you know from hollywood or whether that's you know from the last instructor they took which just dovetails right into what we're talking about today and that is explaining explaining the why because i heard you on lee Wim's uh podcast talking about explaining the why and that's why i brought you on because i thought you did a great job in explaining that and i thought we could have a good discussion about it so what for those People out there that maybe don't understand what we're talking about when we say explaining the why. Can you tell us what explaining the why is all about?
1: Uh, Yeah, actually, I have kind of two trains of thought on it. One, as an instructor, you can say, um, you know, a lot of people know what they do and they know how they do it, but they don't really know why they do it. So, as an instructor, why are you teaching whatever class? And then you can take that down to the student level and explain to the student when you're explaining them a technique, you know, why Why am I showing you how to do it this way? Because they may have been to the range or had a relative or somebody show them how to stand or grip or press the trigger or line up the sights. And, you know, there's 18 different ways to show somebody how to do something and 18 different opinions on it. But Really, if you can get your student to buy into your why, here's why I'm teaching you how to do a thing a certain way, they're more likely to actually retain it and um, be able to use that in the future or make a decision for themselves as to should I do it her way or should I continue to do it the way somebody instructed me 10 years ago? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And we—I mean, anybody who's been around the industry and taken multiple classes, we've all seen different people have different reasons for doing things. Sometimes, you know, it's a right hand versus left hand. Sometimes it's because you've got bigger hands or smaller hands, taller, shorter, you know, all the different mm-hmm. things that we as uh, humans have to deal with, you know, and for variations across the population, you know, we're, we're not robots. Everybody does it one, one way. And that's, Giving those students the why really helps out because you can say, okay, if you're doing it right handed, do it this way. If you do it left handed, do it that way. And you know, one of the examples I'm thinking about, you know, come going around using barricades, you know, come coming to your dominant side versus your non-dominant side. You've got to change things a little bit because if you do it the same, you expose yourself more than you have to on your non-dominant side. So you know, there's there's that's an example of why that. We definitely want our students to understand that because making decision in the heat of the battle and, you know, the only lesson you can learn there is end up getting shot, which is not the intent of our uh, our teaching our students.
1: (laughs) No, certainly not. Um, One of the examples that comes to mind for me when I'm teaching my beginner students is, you know, at some point in the class, we teach them how to lock the slide to the rear, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, initially... Well, just to to jump ahead a little bit, you know, sometimes that can be very frustrating for the students because for whatever reason, I, I seem to always have at least one or two students in my class that have some kind of hand strength issue. They may have arthritis or they've had carpal tunnel or, you know, whatever. It's not really a technique issue, but they literally don't have the hand strength. So learning to lock the slide back can be frustrating. So when we start the process, I explain to them, you know, here's here's what we're going to do and here's why it's important that you need to know how to do it so that you know when we do get to the end and it ends up being something that's frustrating for them they may actually continue to practice it rather than just give up on it you know um so I tell them you know particularly with the the slide lock situation you know, you may go to a range where they want, to, want you to lock your slide to the rear and put it on the bench or the table so that they can see that it's empty. Um, it's often the first step in cleaning your gun. You've got to lock it to the rear. But if our ultimate goal is to be confident in our gun handling so that we can go to the range by ourselves and not need our significant other to fix the gun every time it jams, then it's important to know how to lock the gun open because if you get a double feed, you may have that situation where the magazine won't strip out of the gun and you need to lock it to the rear to get that magazine to release. So if they can kind of visualize why I'm asking them to do this or why that's important, a lot of times when we get to the point where they're practicing it themselves, instead of just giving up on it, they actually you know, really make an effort to try and do this thing because I've impressed upon them that it's important. They need to know how to do it if they want to be confident with the gun. And that's like, as an instructor, that's my overall why for the class, but oftentimes that's their why for being in the class as well. So it kind of, you know, the overreaching why often comes down to the technique level too.
0: Hmm. Yep. Well, that's a, good good example um you know one thing yeah you know, just in you know growing up that you realize you know kids they get certain age and everything's why you know why do i have to do this and why do I have to do that <laughs> and not that our students are kids but it's the same thing when you've got a you know a three four five year old that's asking you know why do i have to do this and why do i have to do that it mm-hmm. makes it a little bit easier if you can explain it to them and say okay you know this is you know you go to bed now because we want you to be able to get up early in the morning so we can go uh to the amusement park and different things all of a sudden they're like yeah i'm gonna i want to go do this and that well if you don't get to bed right now we're not going to be able to get up on time and they start seeing how things are connected just like with our students when we go along and talk to them about you know slide locks you know that's important you know going along we talk to them about you know the proper placement of spare magazines and you know just good gun handling skill overall You know, why is that so important? Because they're going to clean it. They're going to be on a range. You're going to be in competition. They're going to be around other people. And if they haven't mastered that or haven't ingrained it into their psyche on how they're going to approach, they could be in a potentially dangerous uh, position there or put other people with, without being able to uh, handle their gun properly.
1: Yeah. And I think that really, um. Really, it makes the difference between a good instructor and somebody who's just going through the curriculum. Mm-hmm. If you can bring out those points, um, you know, in terms of why is this important? Because the students, they're there to learn something and they want to know, you know, what's in it for me? What is the value in this this thing, whatever it is you're teaching, gun cleaning, shooting around a barrel, whatever it is, you know, what's the importance of it to me? And I think if as an adult learner, particularly, if you can bring out the why, why I should learn that thing, I'm going to have the higher probability of actually retaining that thing, rather than just, you know, here's a skill, he made me do it. I don't know why it doesn't make sense to me. But if you explain the story behind it, I may actually retain that thing mm-hmm. versus, you know, forgetting it.
0: Yep. I uh, completely understand uh, when it comes to that. Um, it's also, uh, you know, really important, uh, you know, from, a as I said before, a safety standpoint, because, you know. Again, safety is one of our number one things that all our students should walk away from our classes with a good understanding for, and then also be able to go along and uh, do that by themselves. You know, when they're in their house, they're cleaning their gun, they're doing those types of things. There's a lot of things that have to uh, connect together.
1: No, absolutely, and the safety thing—that's a great one because you know a lot of times, as instructors, you you may or not instructors, but as a student. You may have sat through a class and somebody just sort of rattled off the, you know, three or four safety rules, depending on what class you're in. They rattled them off and didn't really explain what they mean or why is this important, you know, because if you just read four safety rules, and as a beginner, if I've never heard them before, and maybe I've never even touched a gun before, they really don't have any meaning to me. Mm -hmm. So, I always, as a training counselor, I always impress upon my instructor candidates that, it's really important to go beyond just, you know, treat every gun as if it were loaded. What mm-hmm. does that mean? What does that mean to that person sitting there that's never touched a gun before? You mm-hmm. know, so go into a little bit of of the why, even in those details, because as mm-hmm. you said, the safety, ultimately, our ultimate goal is to keep them safe. And if we fail in that very simple task, then we failed as an instructor.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Let me ask you a, a question that makes that's uh, probably in some of our instructors' uh, minds out there. What do you do when somebody doesn't grasp it and it doesn't work? You know, you go along, explain it to them. You know, how you, you have any special sauce as far as how you go along <laughs> get get people to you know understand it eventually.
1: Mm. So they they can, you know,
0: execute (laughs) that, execute that drill or actually understand that, Hey, you know, what we're trying to teach here is not, um, is is not the end all, but it's, it's something that's good information that we think you need to have in order to effectively, you know, defend yourself in a gunfight.
1: Well, you know, every once in a while you'll have, it depends on, I guess, a person's, uh, experience level coming into the class as beginners. I will sometimes have students who, you know, maybe a family member or relative has taught them prior to coming to class. And they may have taught them one way and I'm asking them to do something slightly different. And you will have a student who 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 will say things like, Oh, well, my dad taught me this way, or my uncle taught me to do that, or my mom maybe <laughs> taught me to do whatever. And they'll have some resistance to that. And, you know, what do you say? Well, your mom was wrong. Mm -hmm. That's not a great way to reach your student, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I usually just sort of gloss it over and just say, well, there are different ways of doing something. You know, the the popular phrase, I guess, is that this is a way, not the way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just encourage them, you know, maybe try it my way today. Here's why. Again, with the why. Here's why I like to teach it the way that I do. You know, maybe it has better recoil management or whatever the thing is, and you know, sort of get them to buy into to my reasoning for it, and just ask them to try it my way today. And you know, if they don't like it, they're welcome to to go back to mom's way or the uncle's way or mm-hmm. some hybrid of the two. But you know, usually I just sort of rely on that that why mm-hmm. to win them over.
0: One, one of the things that, as you were talking about, you know, grandpa or, or mom or dad or uncle uh, showing something, have you ever had a student come in there and, and tell you that they were told to rest their finger on the trigger?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, not resting their finger on the trigger. You get a lot that like to hover, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. o- outside that trigger guard.
0: Yeah, um, I had one and, and I've realized they were... Probably correct um, from the standpoint of that they had their finger on a revolver, and when you go back and you look at prior to 1970, uh, you can see it in the, in the movies. You can de- you can even see it pulling up some old training videos on YouTube and such on firearms where they you were taught to keep your finger on the trigger of a revolver. Now, a revolvers got you know 11 to 13 pound trigger pull on it, so it's going to be you're going to really have to work at that to be able to pull it. But sure. the one thing I Point out to the person is you all they had to do was go along and press on that trigger a little bit you know glock is a five and a half pound trigger pull everything's pretty much between a four and a half to six pound trigger pull and a striker fire mm-hmm. it fires so much easier and they realized that and as soon as they realized that it created a safety problem and i could demonstrate to them that how much of a safety problem then they started realizing hey instead of keeping it Around the trigger, I'm gonna take it and put it up high on the slide to make sure I'm not creating a safety problem because yes, it might have worked great for grandpa when he was in the service or in the law enforcement back in the 70s, because that's what they did. But when you get into the newer ones, newer techniques, uh, you realize that hey, that clinch reflex that we have when yes. we fall, when we mm-hmm. go along, you know, going down, you know, we're walking on stairs and something's wet or something's, you know, icy, oil, whatever, the whole those things really do happen. And Every once in a while you see a report where, you know, the gun's gone off accidentally and that's where, okay, where is the finger? You know, if it's high on the slide, you have much, much, you know, less chance of of having a problem with a modern firearm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I've never had anyone say that before, but um, I can see where explaining it. would, yeah. would definitely. I, help.
0: I had that, you know, a little over 10 years ago when I began. And, uh-huh. you know, my answer at the, at the time was, you know, Let's try it this way and then kind of built. But then I started seeing some of the, uh, some of the shooting and some of the training, you know, as I see things pop up on YouTube from time to time about firearms and all of a sudden you realize like, okay, he wasn't just going along trying to make an excuse. I I really believe that he was, that's what his grandfather learned. That's the way he was taught but they never made the connection between an old revolver technique and a modern striker fire technique for it. And that's where I'm glad at the time that I walked them through saying, Hey, try to apply that same pressure you put onto that revolver onto your Glock and all of a sudden bang. And it's like, okay, now we see that if you do the same thing, you could have a safety problem and you know, worked on putting his finger in the right place. And that just became a very, uh, good teachable moment at the time. And I'm sure he went back to his, uh, grandpa and probably, you know, said, Hey, you realize my new Glock, you know, triggers a lot lighter than your old revolver that you trained me on in the backyard.
1: Well, and that goes to the idea of, you know, never, never stopping, never, don't ever stop training, you know, because if Mm -hmm. you stop taking a class methods change equipment changes things change and improve and your technique which may have worked on something you had 20 years ago may no longer be in your case you know may no longer be safe for the guns Mm -hmm. that you're shooting today
0: well think about this uh you know we both know scott jalinski five years ago nobody was really shooting red dots except for some competitors yeah. Now I see more red dots than iron sights coming through classes and people, you know, you follow Scott Jelinski and you know, he's booked up every single week training all, all across the nation uh, doing things. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of shows you not only the popularity of it, but the usefulness of it, because I've switched from going to just normal open sites to red dots because of uh, vision sure. and the, that's just a very common. You go back, 10 years, and there were a whole lot of SIGs and Berettas that were double-action, single-action type of uh, pistols that you had to have decocker on, and, you know, nowadays, you know, we're doing the Springfields, we're doing the MPs, we're doing the Glocks so that are striker fires, and decocking lever, nobody really understands, and you go back, you know, even mm-hmm. further than that, and you've got revolvers. Everybody was being issued revolvers uh, back, you know, into the early 90s from, you know, way, way, way back when, and it was only, a, you know, the random, police department that would issue action 1911s which is kind of interesting when you think about the functionality that we want to now have in higher higher capacity and be able to uh carry and reload quickly but you know the departments all chose to go with a you know revolver at the time and not with mm-hmm. uh, the 1911 even uh i've had some veterans coming coming back from uh or not not during uh, my class but that were involved with uh, vietnam and they came back, and they had Smith and Wesson thirty or three fifty seven uh, snubby nose revolvers that they carried into the tunnels and different things. And oh. that's where you go along, and what they did then, you know, the finger on a trigger mm-hmm. is different than what we do today, even with revolvers. And sure. that's where continuing to learn, continuing to understand the why, because I believe the whys could change over time. Oh yeah, because yeah. because of people's understandings forth mm-hmm. um you know it's one of the things i always go along and tell people it these days is at one point you realize that it was uh, a foregone conclusion that the earth was flat nobody you know <laughs> d- nobody disagreed with that you know the That's church true. agreed with it science <laughs> agreed with it and then you know somebody Here went comes la- christopher
1: columbus <laughs> yeah and he,
0: what what did he say well i'm gonna i'm gonna test that theory and you know i'm sure a lot of the population said well know this will be the last time we see him because he's going to fall off the you know once he gets to the edge of the ocean and then when he comes back and says no wait a minute there's a whole nother continent over there um you know the wise change and what people think about and what the basis for it also changes which which makes it really interesting to go along make sure as instructors that we're staying up on our training not just okay that we've put another notch in our belt saying hey we've taken another training but actually challenge ourselves to say okay I haven't done this kind of class in a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I next next weekend I'm taking a advanced uh, pistol course. not that I haven't taken enough advanced pistol before, but I've uh, taken it from a different instructor, Gary Queenenberry. And I'm interested in seeing from his standpoint from a from a federal Air Marshal to see what his techniques are compared to what I've seen this year and previous years and in the instructors I've taken to and shortly after that I'll be taking a shotgun course because I haven't really gotten out and gotten a shotgun. Uh, warmed and mm-hmm. meant in a, probably the last two years because I didn't really do much training last year with COVID. And that's one of those things to where I, I'm hoping to pick up some additional uh, tricks and techniques for yes. it and also reconfirm what I already know.
1: Yeah. I love taking classes from, uh, obviously I just love taking classes, but I love taking classes, you know, even on the same topic over and mm-hmm. over again from different people because you get, different viewpoints on it and if it's a class that I teach you know if it's some sort of basic class or something that I I have in my curriculum I guess um, I like to see the way people explain the same the same topic that I might have to explain so I like to hear different viewpoints from that perspective but yeah yeah kind of like you most recently you know I've taken the Scott Jadliski class the modern samurai project for red dot and then you know, a couple weekends ago, I took one from Ken Scott at the Provectus Group just to get a different, a different take on the red dot. Mm-hmm. And I've taken from Brian Hill at the Complete Combatant as well. So you know, it's kind of cool to to visit that same topic but from from three different perspectives, um, which helps me personally as a shooter, but even. To hear them explain, you know, different safety related topics or see how they handle uh, people on the range, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's not really a class I teach, I can still, you know, observing them and how they deal with students on the range is is always, always helpful.
0: Might be a different class, but from an instructor standpoint, you're still trying to control firing line, trying to go along and, you know, keep everybody safe. And then at the same time, trying to make it informative. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not military to where you just keep beating people until they perform it the way you want them to. You've got to be able to reach them and make sure they understand the finer points of the, you know, the pistol they're shooting, red dot, whatever it com- comes down to it. They're there to learn that aspect of it. And, you know, yeah. no matter what you're there for, you can always take away something from the class and say, you know, they did a really good job in using mm-hmm. this, uh, demonstration. Uh, and that's where, uh, it It's always always uh, good,
1: or sometimes even just sometimes dealing with students who maybe aren't able to keep up with the rest of the class for some reason, watching other people manage to those those situations, you know, where the temptation might be to stop the whole class and until and, and teach down to this this level. Um, you know, watching them, you know, either get an assistant instructor to help that person individually, or just kind of watch how they deal with that situation is, is helpful to me too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, that I saw that firsthand when I was doing the uh, Faster Saves Lives training uh, last oh, month. Um, yeah. Michelle Serino actually mm-hmm. uh, took a one of the students that was being that was being challenged on the shooting and took them off to a different side of the range so they could shoot safely and mm-hmm. perform the drills. And they just kept doing things repetitively over and over again, and let the rest of the group continue on, but allowed they got that that uh, focused attention to correct the little minor things that they were doing and make sure they didn't become a bigger problem. And that's one of those things where you know, it's good to see it. Good to see, you know, who's, who's all in the instructor cadre. How do they do their medical briefings? How do they do their range briefings? Those types of things, because can we get a little sloppy because we've done it time and time again, same place, same way, but we forget that these are brand new students and maybe have never heard it before. And those Excellent. are things that we've got to, we've got to catch ourselves, make sure that we uh, don't end up have, having those kind of problems on our range
1: totally agree you know especially with the the safety rules and the medical briefing you know we forget like you said we've said it a thousand times but to that student they may have never had a medical brief in their life and mm-hmm. they have no idea of, of the importance of it so well yeah. one of
0: the things there with medical brief the why that I explained to them is making sure you know I'd say you're gonna call, you know, you're know, you going to go down to the end of the uh, end of the driveway to guide in the ambulance. You're going to do this. And this is what we're going to tell the nine one one operator about that. We're having a training accident. You know, we, somebody wasn't shot where we had a training accident mm-hmm. so that we have the right, we have the EMS coming versus going along and having a tactical team showing up because it's a shooting type of uh, situation. Sure. And a lot of times people go a oh, lot. I, I never really thought about it that way. And it's like, correct because you're not you know something goes wrong at your house somebody falls break a leg you call nine one one. you say fall broke their leg and they come but when you're under range you can say hey we're at a range and somebody's been shot
1: we need to All, clarify <laughs> we need to be
0: very clear about it so that they yeah. you don't you don't have delays and in, in the ems uh Getting there, and those are always important. One of the things I point out in my RSO classes when I conduct them is making sure they have their uh, direct phone number for dispatch, because in a lot of Mm -hmm. times when you dial nine one one and you're in a rural area, you're not guaranteed all the time of getting the nine one one for that area. Because cell yeah. phones can overlap. Uh, here, where I am in Cincinnati, I can hit Indiana, Kentucky, or Ohio. Literally, where I'm, where my house is right now, and it and it has happened to me before when I've done 911. But if I've got the dispatch number, I can get hold of the right dispatch and then say, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what what happened. This is what we need. Versus talking to somebody in Kentucky and then they say, well, wait a minute, I have to transfer you back over to Ohio because I can't dispatch anybody, f- you know, from Kentucky. And, That's uh, and, a
1: great point. Yeah, because our range is actually similar, but we're on the corner of three different counties and mm-hmm. two different municipalities. So you have to be very specific with them as to who they need to send, you know, mm-hmm. what county needs to respond.
0: Yep. If you got a combined 911, point. that would be good. If, if in my situation, you got a different state, you want to make sure you get, get a hold of the right state
1: <laughs> Oh, <laughs> when, yeah. when, when you're, when you're dialing. Much more critical, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's uh, yeah being around the Cincinnati area. There's uh, all kinds of examples to where one department's responded and they will respond, and then immediately like yeah they they're you know ten feet past the state line, so we're gonna stop the traffic, but we've got to mm-hmm. get the other department to respond to actually to the transport, do things like that, and it's just part of living in a uh, you know multi-state city. That's all
1: but that goes back to the point of the the whole why situation mm-hmm. cuz if you told somebody they need to call dispatch and then something did happen and they thought well that's crazy i'm just going to call 911 mm-hmm. if they didn't know the reason that you asked them to do dispatch versus 911 mm-hmm. that may delay the whole process yep. so it just ties back into that whole idea of Understanding the why so that you can respond accordingly or make decisions appropriately.
0: Well, one of more one of the most important whys that I tell them when we do the medical briefing is we do the medical briefing in case there's an accident, but more importantly, in case I'm the one that goes down, everybody else has got to know what to do. Because if I if I'm yeah. standing, I can I can point to you and say, go down the end of the drive, you know, call I you know, or I can call like, you know. A lot of things can be done if I'm still standing, but if I'm the one that falls down because I caught a ricochet or or I went along and had a heart attack, you know, some medical emergency, everybody needs to be familiar with what needs to be done because last thing you want to do is to have ten people call nine one one at one time, and you don't want to go along and have ten people go along and try to be giving you CPR at one time. Nobody call nine one one, and those are the situations that happen in a panic. That if you don't have the whys and people realizing, oh, wait a minute, I'm the one that's supposed to be calling, I'm the one supposed to be doing this, you could be delaying, and that matches up very nicely when we talk about things on the range. When we get, talk to people about the tr- uh, trigger press, when we talk about side alignment, grip, uh, even reloading exercises, so if we give them a good why, mm-hmm. then they're able to go along and say, okay, I'm going to go along, do this nice and slow to make sure my hands feel the way they should be, how that reload should feel. And then as as we go through the day and I'm keeping doing that over and over again, they say, wow, that's a lot quicker than the way I was doing it. And that's where you want you want to see those light bulbs go off for people to really understand why we talk about uh, doing things a specific way. Because if we went along and had a class about the 10 different ways you can reload a gun, I I don't know too many people <laughs> would be interested about it. But if we go along and we talk about advanced pistol skills and we talk about, uh, of fire, unsighted fire, defensive shooting and, and reloading and how to do it, reloading a couple different ways, then it, then it all kinds of comes together and say, like, okay, now I feel like I can handle my gun better.
1: Yeah. And going back to your, you know, your idea of things sort of speeding up as you go along, you know, initially, sometimes you'll have people who they don't really want to do it the way you suggested, or, you know, maybe they'll say, well, this feels strange or I don't like it or, you know, things like that. And, you know, naturally it is going to feel unusual because you've practiced it a thousand times this other way. Um, but you know, as the day progresses and you've put more and more reps in the new way, it is naturally going to get a little bit faster. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you just got to buy into it and, you know, have that open, have that open cup, right. To, Mm -hmm. to let people pour into a new way.
0: Yeah. If anybody's done a taught a nra basic pistol instructor course they know you have to do both revolver and semi-automatic in that class the students have to go through it mm-hmm. and but 95 percent of people these days are all semi-automatic they know how semi-automatic works and they're a fish out of water when it comes to a revolver and that's right. one of those situations to where as i explain to people semi-automatics might be predominant right now but you will have students come showing up with revolvers because in certain oh, yeah. instances you know that's what people want certain instances that's what people currently have so they're not going to go out and buy a brand new gun and you need to know how to show them how to properly grip it properly sight it and the trigger squeaks that is it's different than being going along doing a semi a modern semi-automatic gun because it's got such a heavier trigger squeeze
1: oh yeah i constantly having people bring revolvers into my class um, you know I do tend to teach a lot of ladies and that's what they get sold at other <laughs> other gun <laughs> ranges and stores not mine but they do end up with a revolver for whatever reason and you got to show them how to use it mm-hmm. you know show them the good and the bad and maybe loan them a semi-automatic that they could try out so they can prove to themselves that they can handle that too. Because um, usually I think it's, they have in their heads, they can't shoot anything but this revolver. And a lot of times it's just a technique issue. Mm-hmm. And once you show them how to rack the slide and how to load it properly and do all those things, then, you know, a lot of times you'll hear them say, well, you know, I guess maybe I could sell this revolver to <laughs> my aunt Sue or, you know, whoever. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, they'd really rather have the, the semi-automatic now that they know how to shoot it. but."
0: And yeah, note to self-reliant instructors out there, if you have anybody who's looking for a new gun, highly recommend they go out and just rent a gun, um, yeah. you know, for, for an hour and, you know, a lot of places allow you to, you know, rent multiple guns while you're on the range type of thing and just come and trade them back and forth. And the benefit to that is, is everybody's hands, everybody's, um, you know, fingers, they're different lengths, different sizes, and they can find a gun that they can fire comfortably and effectively. And that's, that's what you want. And, you know there's oh, no yeah. there's no one gun that everybody um you know should have there's no one way of doing things um, or one caliber uh, they need to find what works for them and i just cringe when i hear about uh gun stores that sell people <laughs> a gun without yeah. and especially their first gun when they really don't know the difference between you know double action single action revolvers or going along and doing the dasa type of uh, semi-automatics you know really mm-hmm. Make sure the people are educated so that they can get what works for them.
1: It's I know you've probably heard the analogy before, but it, it really is like trying to buy shoes for somebody else. You know, the, the shoes my husband would buy for me probably wouldn't even fit my foot. So you know, I'll just, I'll buy my own pair of shoes. Thank you. The gun is the same way. And I really didn't realize, this may sound dumb, but I didn't realize how different everybody's hands were until I started teaching people and seeing everybody's hands up close and personal. You know, like you said, the, the length of their fingers or the the size of their palms, you know, big, small, whatever it's very interesting to me because it really does affect their grip and their ability to reach the trigger and, and, and do all those things. And it, it truly is unique from person to person. And, you know, a gun really is a unique buying opportunity because Mm -hmm. it needs to be something that works for them.
0: Right. And, You've probably seen guys with small hands and women with lar- sure. large, hands, right? So, you know, the I've old, the old <laughs> adage of, you know, that women have small hands, they need those small revolvers no. and a guy needs, you know, the, the bigger uh, hand grips and everything. Um, I've got a, got a, uh, bill who teaches with me. Uh, he shoots, shoots a Ruger P 95. He shoots it wonderfully. One time he forgot it, you know, left, left it out of the range bags. So when we were on the range, I lent him, uh, my extra gun, it was a Glock. And he could literally could not hit the side of a barn with it. And oh. it was, it was rather embarrassing for him. And I realized after I gave it to him that his finger, he had small fingers instead of being in front of the, in front of the trigger, he was hitting him on the side of the trigger. So literally his uh. trigger, when he was pushing it back, first thing was to push it back and then get his finger in front of it. So he could pull it the rest of the way. And that was throwing his shots off all over the place. Cause you can imagine, you know, you're pulling it back and get your moving your finger and pulling it back more. Some are going left. Some are going right. It wasn't grouping worth a darn. And I know he could shoot a lot better. The next day he brought his P 95 with him. Guess what? He shot perfectly well, but it shows you, you know, I could pick up the same gun and just drill a hole out of, out of the target. He, he picks it up and couldn't shoot it worth a darn, but his P 95 fit his hand uh, appropriately. And that, and those are, that was two guys.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to me how, like I said, how different, people are across the board Mm -hmm. which again sounds dumb obviously people are different but the hands truly are unique
0: yeah i mean when you go to to the store and work and you uh buy gloves you know you get small medium large you Mm -hmm. don't really think about how different things are about length of fingers and different things we're just okay this is small this is medium but some people have longer fingers and shorter fingers and Batter fingers and skinnier fingers and that all affects how they're able to uh manipulate a firearm appropriately
1: absolutely yeah
0: definitely well hey karen great discussion but got a question for you that you. we've been asking all our all our guests this year do you have a book yeah. or instructor that you would recommend mm. that other instructors check out and uh, in their uh, training journey
1: I have so many to choose from. I can't even begin <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you two things. Um, so book. I'm gonna go with the book first. Okay. I really like the book. It's called The Talent Code. Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, I think. Could be wrong on the author. Um, it's a really interesting look from a from a coaching perspective into the best way to get people to achieve, you know, whether talent plays into it or whether you can be coached into um, greatness, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say. Um, And then the other thing uh, that I have found very valuable to me in this year was I did the active self-protection instructor cohort. And it's a six-month process where you really look at how you're instructing people. And and if you're really into the idea of this why, um, that really plays into it. We read, or I'm done with it now, but we were tasked with reading, I think it was five or six books and writing reports on them. And then you get on calls every week and, and just get really good mentorship from other instructors that are also in the cohort so it's a really good use of time that that i enjoyed and there's an in-person training as well um but both of those things highly recommend
0: good and uh samuel middlebrook is one of the people i'm oh. working on getting on the podcast some uh, somewhere in the near future because uh, keep hearing good things about the active self-protection uh, cohort yeah. and uh that's that is a very unique program cuz nobody's program so far that i've seen at least includes that kind of mentorship over such a long a long period of time which i yeah. think is great
1: and for me it was um like you i guess i've done you know the uscca nra all the little certification programs but i really wanted some something to some someone to kind of set me on the path to sort of take the best of all those things and make my own program or mm-hmm. my own class. So that's, that was how I entered into it. And it was very worthwhile.
0: Yep. And they're in cohort four, I believe. Uh, I think so. From, from talking to Neil Widener about it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I
1: good, was cohort two. Good stuff.
0: Yep. The, there the you best go. one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell the others. Not, not to
0: brag. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Karen, where can instructors find out more about you and Trigger Time?
1: Oh, hey, um, I'm actually at TriggerTimeRange.com. And if you're on Facebook, just look me up, Karen Whitlock. Or um, if you want to email me, Karen at TriggerTimeRange.com.
0: Okay. And we'll have those in the show notes as always. And uh, Karen, thanks for your time today. It's been a great discussion with you.
1: Thank you. I enjoy talking to you.
0: Super. That's a wrap for this episode. This week's podcast winner is Mark A, and he won a package of 9 millimeter dummy ammo. Next week's podcast prize giveaway is Barrel Block, a great tool for instructors to use when training in their classes to make sure their weapons are completely safe and unable to fire any live ammunition. Again, Barrel Block, great instructor tool. Remember to visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter in for our weekly prize giveaway, remember you can't win without entering and your entries do not carry over from week to week. If you have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have, or feedback, please email us at ftp at Also, there's only a couple weeks left to come and get registered for Guardian Conference on September 17th or 19th in Oklahoma City. Check it out at guardianconference.com. Remember to check our website out also where you can search For various topics, from marketing to instructor training at firearmtrainerpodcast.com, or you can leave us a comment there on any episode you'd like. Also, share our podcast on your social media so other instructors can get the same great information you're getting. Trainers need to constantly keep up with information. Our podcast is focused on doing just that. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. We bring this podcast supporting the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Thanks for listening and stay safe, everyone.